Welcome back, everybody, to the Sprackle Podcast. I am your host, Coy White, and this is the second installment, also known as part two, of episode two of the podcast. If you didn't catch the first part of this episode, I strongly suggest you seek it out first, as it gives a world of context on our guest. And if you have, then you already know that this person is a relentless autodidact, that is, I believe, self-educator, um, dear friend and invaluable mentor to me. And as of recording this introduction, it's actually come to my attention that he has been daily vlogging consistently for over a month now, which, given everything else he does, absolutely blows my mind. So if you want to follow him on Instagram or YouTube, all links will conveniently be in the show notes of this episode. My voice cracked. Um, we last left off with our hero hell-bent on travels to the other side of the globe in search of some deep hormesis of the mind. So without further delay, let's go to China with Sean Michael Medeiros. The voice is just not there today. All right. Well, anyway, here's part two. Yeah, that was that was an interesting experience. Um, I think that uh, I know we've, we've talked a lot so far. Hmm. Got time. I, I think <laughs> I think this is this is where it's going to get interesting. OK, so um, after after our attempt at having a startup called My Jams, um, I used some of the money that I made. I bought a video camera. And I went to China. Basically, my goal after after a year of being out of school, after trying to work on a startup and struggling, um, I used the money that I had and I wanted to put myself in the most uncomfortable position I could possibly think of. I knew that no matter what, the more uncomfortable you are, the faster you're going to grow. So I was like, how can I throw myself in the fire and see what happens? I was thinking about going to Spain because I heard that in some parts of Spain, in rural parts of Spain, there's absolutely zero chance of you being able to speak any English whatsoever. And I obviously don't speak Spanish. Actually, English is really the only language I speak. And I was thinking about that. I was on the subway. I was meeting up with people in Chinatown. I'm on the subway and I see this this poster in Spanish. And I'm looking at it. I'm staring at it. I'm like, okay, I can kind of like pick out what's going on. And okay, I, I understand what it's saying. You know, it's like, be safe. Don't jump on the tracks. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and so I get out. I was like, okay, like I feel good. I feel good about going to Spain. And it was like maybe a month before I, I was planning on leaving. I hadn't really booked anything yet, but um, I had a bunch of things in the works. And I'm in Chinatown. And I'm looking at all these signs in Chinese. I'm like, holy crap. It's, it's all Chinese to me. It's like, it's like, it's like fair enough. <laughs> I was like, I, I, when I look at these signs and their characters, I have no freaking clue what any of that says. I was like, I need to go to China. Mm. And so that's where I made the change. I was like, okay, I'm going to China. I'm going to go to an area. One of my friends, he runs this company called Our Human Family. I love his concept. He helped me out and he helped me uh, find like a local host. Um, I booked my Airbnb and all this stuff. And I stayed in a city called Hangzhou. That has pretty much no one there speaks any English. It might be different now, but when I went, no one there spoke English. It was uh, it was such a beautiful city. But I went in and it was a life changing experience. So I it was I was brand new to vlogging. Essentially, I, I started my video production like career there. How long was it between I'm gonna like get into video and do this crazy thing and and buying. The and was it the GH5 they bought? Yeah, GH5. So you got the GH5, Gorilla Pod, and Olympus Lens. Yeah. Uh, Road Mike. Yeah. 
And so how long did it take you to get that together? And what, what was like before you started looking into and it? Drone. <laughs> and a drone. <laughs> Never flown a drone before. But yeah, so I decided I was going to China. I had, so the first time I ever filmed anything um, and made a video out of it, I guess like in as it pertains to this story, was August, the previous, uh, like the previous year in August. So it's like saying? maybe nine months before and august reason I, what year um 2016 august 2016 oh okay so what i did though was i just filmed with my phone mm. and i filmed because i was going to uh i was going to the u.s open with my friend uh one of my closest friends at the time and for his birthday so i was like oh you know it'd be really nice if we document this experience together so i made a video with my phone and from there, he was like, dude, this is one of the greatest gifts anyone's ever given me. He was like tearing up. And I was like, wow, videos are really powerful. And one of the inspirations why I wanted to do that was it was this guy, his name's Josh. His name's Josh Jacobs. And I had another friend, Javen Gulbin, back in middle school. When my family moved to Cape Cod, they those two guys made a tribute video for me uh, for moving away. And I cried. Like, I was in eighth grade. I'm watching this thing. They're acting out like all my most embarrassing moments <laughs> on TV. And I cried. How they send it to you? No, I I uh, I went to go visit. Mm-hmm. And they put in a DVD. They made a DVD of it. And I'm watching it. And it was hysterical. <laughs> it was so funny. But I was crying. Uh, I missed those guys. And I, I'll never forget how that made me feel. So I thought that for his birthday, I would do something similar. And I saw and I got to watch how it made him feel. Mm. And so it was cool for me to be on the other end of that. And <clears throat> after that, I decided I really like this video thing. So um, a couple months later, he bought a camera, not not me. And I asked him if I could borrow it. And I started shooting some stuff. <laughs> then Was I, it also a GH5? No, his was a Sony A6000. Mm, okay. So I was shooting on that a little bit. And then I uh, I made like a couple things, not not very much. Then my sister got a camera, an SL1, Rebel SL1, and I borrowed that for like a month. Then I went, then I had to give that back, and I started using iPhone again to film videos. And then when I was going to China, I was like, "F it, I'm getting a freaking camera for myself." And we're borrowing, and so then I dropped like five thousand dollars, like right off the bat, like. Uh, <laughs> A couple weeks it was like a couple weeks before i had to leave and i was like i'm just gonna do it so i bought the gh5 i bought this olympus ultra wide lens it was like 1300 so at the time the gh5 was like a little over two thousand dollars then i bought this like new yeah okay. it was brand new yeah it just came out yeah. yeah and then i bought the uh the the road mic the gorilla pod with a manfrotto ball head and plate instead and of optimizing for usability robustness and yeah yeah and uh, I paid for all the insurance options. I was like, I missed the clip. Like I, and Fair. so I was, I was like, I don't know. I don't even know how to use the, any of this stuff. Yeah. So, and then I bought a drone. I'd never flown a drone before. I bought the Mavic Pro. And I was like, it has sensors and stuff. I feel like if I don't buy this one, I'm going to crash the other ones. I'm going to be spending more money. I'm just going to buy this one. And I bought the insurance for it. And uh, yeah, it was actually the drone thing was pretty funny. When I got it, um, I got it at night. And I put it, I tried to send it up in the air and I was next to a church and I did something wrong. I have no idea what I did, 
but I did something terribly wrong <laughs> because the drone didn't really go straight off the ground. It went straight left went in, <laughs> into the church. And I was like, oh, maiden voyage going really well. <laughs> yeah. And it went into the church and crashed against the wall. And I was like, uh. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Learning was, curve. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad. One of my friends was there to see it, too. It was really funny. But after that, I didn't I didn't crash it until a few years later, until it crashed into the Williamsburg Bridge and into the water. But that's okay. That's a different story. That was a, yeah. oh, that's, oh. That's a different story. Um also for respect, so five thousand on the gear and the insurance and everything. Yeah. How much did you spend on living in China? Oh, not that much. <laughs> it was super cheap. Yeah. The flights were kind of expensive. They're like nine hundred or something bucks, but it was pretty good for flying to China. About round trip. And uh let's see. The freaking craziest So one of the most I don't recommend this either But one of the most important things Is having the right attitude We've talked about this a lot One of the reasons why I love you Is because you have such a great attitude And the uh, When I went to China I went Actually a couple things Um, When I went to China I was told specifically To not read any articles Or anything about it Because it would bias my view on my experience mm. and so i was like all right easy i don't like reading the news anyway so and i was like i, I would just also look it up. can't do it if i try <laughs> yeah unless it was, yeah uh so i um i went there i land and i had like 60 bucks on me cash i had told my banks ahead of time that i was going to be there, like okay great thanks for letting us know did you fine. do the like automatic debit card to conversion thing uh, yeah, so it was it was fine. Like, honestly, all my money should have been set up. And I even went to the bank twice to to make sure that it was going to be fine. Oh, this is foreshadowing that it was, in fact, not, I assume. It was not fine. Okay. <laughs> it was very much not fine. Okay. The other thing that I messed up was that I had a... Um, I had a case on my phone that was screwed on and had a special screw to hmm. take it off. Like a, a Torx or something? Uh, it was by Element Case. And it had a special special wrench that you had to use to put the case on and take it off. And you couldn't break the thing. So this was the phone that I was supposed to like, have to be unlocked and put the new SIM card in. I couldn't get the SIM card out. So I was like, well, this kind of sucks. So I used the other phone that was not unlocked. And I was like, all right, well, I'll still get a SIM card. So I spent like and $45. Is, what day is this on? I la- This is landing. landing. Landing in airport. In airport. I get out. I start. Okay, so uh, just so little, I skipped a bit. Okay. What happened was I landed. Hardly any English already off the bat. I had no idea what the what the heck was going on. <laughs> I was lost. wasn't really paying attention. I was talking to my camera, and I totally missed all the announcement for where where baggage claim was. So I was struggling to find out where baggage claim was. Then I found out afterwards that in order to get on the Wi-Fi. You need a Chinese phone number. And I was like, well, that's a problem because I don't have a Chinese phone number. So I can't get on the Wi-Fi. So what I started doing was I started going around to people that didn't speak English, asking them to see if I could bum off their hotspot. And so it was very challenging, but I got five different people to let me follow them around while they're walking around to use their hotspot just so I could send out a couple messages. Mm. And then um, eventually... I found like a kiosk that told me where to go to find my bag, to find my bag. Then I leave the terminal and I'm in the main pickup area and there's like the, the airport assistants, whatever. And one of them helps me buy a SIM card. Now I've got like 15 bucks left. And, 
They're like, okay, so where are you trying to go? I was like, I need to go to Hangzhou. And I landed in Shanghai. So I, in order to get there, I would have to take the subway, which is about two hours, and then take a bullet train over to Hangzhou. The problem was, if I took the train, the subway, from the airport, I was not going to make it to the last train to Hangzhou. So I was like, okay, like I got to take a cab then. And so I go to try to take a cab and my credit card doesn't work. And then I'm sitting in the cab for like 26 minutes while they're swiping my card over and over and over and over and over again. And they try another card over and over and over again and it's just not working. At this point, I was like, it's not going to work. I don't know why they keep, I don't know why they keep trying it. It's not going to work. So uh, I have to get out of the cab, go back up and I'm stuck at the airport. So now you're definitely not, because even if at that point it worked, you're probably still not making yeah. the bullet train in the so cab. So didn't make it to where How I was How far, to... like, distance-wise would you say it was? No idea. It was, so Shanghai is pretty big. The airport is on, like, the far east, and then the train station it need to, needed to get to was on, like, the far west. Mm. So you had to go across Shanghai. So it's probably less about the distance and more about the just congestion and yeah. stops. Yeah, I mean, it's big. So it's a good distance, but it's mostly like just traffic and waiting and all that crap. So needless like to say, an hour drive, hours. No, it was it was gonna be an hour forty five minute drive. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> nonetheless, didn't make the train. So now I'm stuck in Shanghai with no money, and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of stuck in the airport. But the people in the airport were pretty nice. They were trying to help me out. They had one person that had very broken English that was trying to help me. And I ended up, they're like, we, our shift just ended. Uh, we need to, we need to leave now. And I was like, okay, crap. Like these are the only people that I can, you know, sort of feel like I can trust. And they're like, you can come with us if you want. We have Wi-Fi at the house. And I was like, oh my God, great. Okay. Huh. My mom. And uh, so one guy let me borrow his phone to make an international phone call, which was pretty bold. And so I was like, I had my mom on the phone at one point. She's like, whatever you do, just stay at the airport. Don't move. I'm like, yes, okay. I hang up and I get in their van. <laughs> and so, yeah, because I'm trying to imagine the reverse of that. Like someone in the U.S. and like the type of, like, I just, it just very different. Yeah. That, that I don't feel like that would happen very in like Newark. Yeah, you know? I know. <laughs> it, was, it was wild though. So I get in their van and we're driving down the highway and uh, it's like raining. It's it's obviously nighttime and uh, we're just we're just on the highway and all of a sudden we slow down and we take an abrupt turn down this dirt road off the highway. And I was like, what the heck is going on? There's like an overpass. There's huge walls on both sides. Tons of dirt just like splashing up onto the windshield. We go left, go right, go left, park. Everyone gets out and runs, and except for the one lady that speaks like a little bit of English. And I was like, this is really weird. Were they running for and the she, rain? Yeah, I think, oh, okay. I think for the rain. But it was just <laughs> but weird for like... me. It was weird for me because like car stops and it's like an abrupt stop. It's like he put it into park before he was actually stopped, <laughs> you know? And so car stops, doors open, and I just see people running and I'm in the back seat. And so I was uh, like, I'm watching them all run. I'm like, what is the car about to blow up or something? And then the girl in the front, she's like, oh, you can leave your bags here. I was like, no, thanks. They're coming with me. <laughs> and so I grab, I grab my stuff and we start running through the rain to get to the, the thing. And it was crazy to see as we run, go left into this courtyard. 
And this courtyard had like the lines of clothes going across, even though it's raining, lines of uh, lines of clothes. And then it was just huts. All these huts are all connected, essentially. And they're all like cinder block built huts. I go in, we go into one that has this like green wooden door that looks like some wood was just kind of slapped together. And it's like a cinder block on the door sill. So you step over the cinder block and you're in. And you see a bed that's hoisted up on cinder blocks. You see two cinder blocks stacked up uh, next on top of each other as the nightstand. And you see this like wooden dresser and scooters and bicycles. And this was the entire apartment. And I go in there and the brother that was there says, okay, nice to meet you. Don't worry, I speak English. Let's get you onto the Wi-Fi. So I give him my phone. He types in the password. I'm thinking, okay, good. I'm going to have some Wi-Fi. I'm going to be able to make some Wi-Fi calls, send some texts. I'll figure it out. Is no WhatsApp problem. abandoned? Uh, was, it, was that the issue? Was like censorship stuff? No, I, I didn't even have the option for censorship yet. Oh, you didn't have... Yeah, I, I, I had a phone, but I couldn't get on to the Wi-Fi to make any calls. I didn't have a Chinese SIM card active, so I couldn't make any calls that way either. So I had no internet access and I couldn't make any calls. So in comes English speaking man with Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I'm like, thank you. This is like my saving grace. So try to get onto the Wi-Fi. 15 minutes goes by and it's still like spinning. Trying to figure out what the heck's going on with this Wi-Fi. Like, why can't I get on the Wi-Fi? And then I asked him, I was like, is something wrong with the password? It's just not going on. He's like, oh, I forgot. We lose Wi-Fi when it rains. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Satellite? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, whenever it rains, we lose Wi-Fi. I was like, well, that makes things a little bit harder. Um, I started digging through my phone. I found a Chinese contact just from the guy that uh, helped me back um, in the U.S., uh, from our human family. And he sent me a contact of a guy that I had not yet actually contacted, never spoke to him and never texted him. But I give that number to the guy, to the brother and he calls him and they start talking and they, and they determine this plan to get me a hotel for the night and they're going to help me out. So it was great. And I'll, I'll leave the rest for the, the video. I actually vlogged it. So, um, it was, it was pretty, and you it were, was pretty crazy. You were keeping up with recording some of this. Yeah, I recorded. I recorded as much of this as I could. Wow. No, because yeah, it's wild. like it sounds like. Oh, obviously you record that. But when you're in those moments, like I just not that bad. But like, yeah, I was in the UK. People speak English. Like, wasn't that yeah. bad? But I like missed trains. Like, you don't think to because you're sort of like, am I sleeping on the rainy platform tonight? Or am I gonna find a cat? Like, and you're, recording is not the first thought in your mind. So to like, yeah. And be like, am I about to be killed in this van? And then still think to record it. It's yeah. like, it's, it's, it's good stuff. I'm sure you're very happy that you did because now you have that. Yes, very cool, man. <laughs> so anyways, fast forward. While I was there, I met this guy named Ted. And this other, well, uh, yeah. So I met this guy named Ted and he had his own marketing agency, but he wanted to do something... Oh, Ted. Okay, got it. Which Ted? Wait, think is of? it not Teddy? It's not Teddy. Oh, okay. Ironically, same age, also named Ted, <laughs> but Chinese in China. Okay. So, <clears throat> I meet this guy named Ted, and he tells me that you know, he's trying to work on this project, and he needs some help. So, I go in there, and we end up becoming partners on this cultural exchange program, China-based, to help bring 
native speaking English speakers to China to live with Chinese families. It was amazing. This was this was amazing because this guy was a phenomenal worker. I uh, I since have left the program because I now live in the U.S. He still lives in China. He's still running it. So we got it off the ground together in China. When I when I left, I left the I left China and I left the program. He's continuing it, and he's crushing it. He's doing such a good job. He's grown tremendously over the years. And that was the first time when I had an experience. Well, oh, not the first time, but uh, the first time where I created something from scratch with a co-founder that I truly, truly believed in. You know, like the other time, like working on the Swipes app, that one was the first time I was part of a team that I felt like I really believed in. And I felt like I could do anything with these people, but it wasn't my project. This one felt like it was my project. Mm. And so it was, it was amazing to, to have that experience. Um, so yeah, sure. uh, that was a long story just for that, but <laughs> well, so, so you show up there awful first day, you figure out stuff, then yeah. you meet Ted, how long into the trip? Like a month Sorry, and a half later, month and a half yeah. later in this time, you're living with your host who I believe if I remember correctly, doesn't speak English. Does not speak English. Which leads to some fun adventures. Yeah. So that shit was crazy. Was that the post office that you were trying to get to in that one? Grocery store. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was so funny. I walked so far away from my, from where I did work every day. I got put up into a uh, co-working space Mm. to study Chinese. And the grocery store was like across the street. I didn't know that. I walked several blocks away to, um, to like to the gym essentially and i can't even say it was several blocks it was like a 40 minute walk so <laughs> several blocks of a rural <laughs> very, very, very a farmland yeah. several several plots of land yeah it was several plots of land <laughs> and I, I had to go up and ask people how to find the grocery store and that was great so it was great exercise i, I really got pushed outside my comfort zone i had to learn how to speak survival chinese I can't say that I speak Chinese well at all. Like, so you can. I, I can't say that I speak basic Chinese even, but I could survive. I could read a menu, and uh, but it obviously didn't start that way. It yeah. really just was a lot of pointing at things, hoping they knew what I was saying. Puppy dog eyes and stuff. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> it was a lot of saying things in English and then following that up with what I don't know even I don't even know why I'm saying it in English because there's no they don't they don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was really fun. So you didn't do the the say it in English, and then if they don't understand, say it in English, but louder, <laughs> slower. Yes, so, yeah. yeah, slower, louder, slower, and more annoyed. Yeah, I I don't think I ever got annoyed. I just it was the first time though that I ever felt like a foreigner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was that was kind of an interesting feeling. Yeah. So you started the project about a month and a half, and you were there for three months total. Yeah. And then. As you were winding down on that trip, what did that sort of look like last five days or so last week? Um, oh, we just traveled around China, honestly. It's awesome. Yeah. Just took some time to go explore, see different cultures, different parts of China. Saw the Great Wall. Um, saw some, oh, a, pa- a panda, which was cool. Yeah. Very that nice. was pretty wild. And then do you have any, like, like how many people had you sort of developed relationships with at that point that you had to say goodbye to? Oh, um, 
That's a good question. I'd say there were a lot. I think probably like a handful of really meaningful ones. Mm-hmm. Maybe five people or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was good. I like uh I still keep in touch with a couple of them. Like Ted, I obviously still keep in touch with. Yeah. Uh, I was just texting him the other day, like a couple of days ago. Uh so I I love hearing how well the program is going. It's just amazing. So and what's what's the program called? It's uh actually he just changed the name and I can't pronounce it. Oh. So I I don't know. Survival it used to Chinese. be yeah. <laughs> Survival Chinese. <laughs> yeah. Um so I will get back to you. I know he's still working put it in, in the show game. notes. I think that's a thing that you can do. What's that? Put names of things or links in show notes. Yeah, I'll I'll put a uh, yeah, I'll I'll tell you uh, I'll I'll give you a link to put in the show notes. Cool. <laughs> okay. And then so last day comes. You're flying back to the US. Yeah. To what? Cool. So this is actually pretty important. When I got back, I didn't really know what, what I wanted to do, so I moved back with my parents. The <clears throat> Age. Yeah, I didn't have a plan. Age 24. Year 2016. 2016. 2017. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, Born wow. in 1993. <laughs> Born in 93. Let's do some math here. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> 2017, fall of September. So, moved back with my parents. And it was a very interesting experience moving back with my parents. They were very supportive. Like, they, they loved me, obviously. But there was a there was a very clear, unsaid sense of urgency for me to get out mm. of the house. Like they didn't they want if me for there. Nothing else than yeah. to just like make sure it doesn't turn into like a Yeah. They want me there because you know they love me and they want to see me, but they really didn't want me there. For your own sake. Yeah. It's like so my mom was telling me that I needed to look at jobs and my dad was so how long are you gonna be here? asking me <laughs> All the time, it was like so. Uh, when are you move? <laughs> essentially, just say it's like so. When are you moving out? This is where my parents differ yeah. very much from your. Well, my dad probably wouldn't have, but my mom definitely. Is yeah, quite the opposite. Yeah, it's funny because the entire time before, like the entire year, they always said it's like, oh, you can you can always come home, you know, you can save money, and even now, I feel like they still pitch to me is like oh you can come home and you can save money but i know once i'm there i'm just gonna get so uh when are you gonna leave <laughs> and so it's it's kind of a funny it's a funny uh grass is always greener sort of thing is but circumstantially instead of environment <laughs> yeah i think it's because they just want to know that i can be self-sustaining and not not necessarily depend on them for a smile yeah so which is a good thing yeah I mean, I mean that's i mean if i were a parent that's what i would want yeah their general style seems to have worked out all right i would say thank you <laughs> <laughs> so i ended up taking a job in westchester which is how i ended up moving to westchester from or, according you to were... you upstate new york <laughs> i don't i don't know where does it start i just assume everything north of manhattan is upstate new york yeah i heard i heard in a pocket or a, a speech that some guy's dad thought that everything north of the george washington bridge was canada <laughs> okay he's joking I'm, but oh yeah <laughs> I w- well, when I moved here, I still thought Brooklyn was a sketchy place. Mm, Just yeah. not the only danger that you'll encounter in Williamsburg is being strangled by a stray scarf of some fashion. Influencer. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. 
You got it? You good? good. <laughs> you want okay. some mushroom water? <laughs> I'm okay. Thank you, though. It sounds delicious. <laughs> Floor is just in the back judging us incessantly. So, okay. you back and move from your parents. Your parents are like... Yeah. So, I ended up... They, they really encouraged me to take a job. Mm-hmm. So, I take a job that was very hopeful. I was, like, was kind of pitched on it. It was like, oh, there's an opportunity for you to really develop your skills. You get some equity in the company. You could even potentially become the COO. And I was like, dang, that's exactly what I want. Yes, I want mentorship. I want to learn. I'm hungry. I go in there and I'm like guns blazing, you know, going all out, doing everything I possibly can. And I didn't really probably, I probably didn't set the right tone with everyone. Hmm. Um, the, yeah, some people felt threatened that I was going to take their job. So hmm. that didn't go so well. After after a couple of years, I ended up staying there for so long because I was like hanging on to this belief. And then while I was hanging on to the belief, what I didn't know what was happening was that I was getting more and more comfortable because there are certain aspects of certainty in my life where getting a consistent paycheck twice a month of a certain amount that I can afford these things. And then all of a sudden, now I became used to it and I was expecting it and I became dependent on it. Hmm. So once that happened, I was kind of locked in mentally. So that was the start of the downfall for me. Would you say that sort of like, when would you say that like job and being in that state became more like pathological than sort of, because I mean, we go in, you're very like bruja and or what, bravado I don't know, whatever. But you're like, you know, you have intention, yeah. guns blazing, yeah. lots of excitement probably. Where does that wear off? And then you sort of get into this like, probably isn't where this is, uh, I'm probably not going to like make my life's proudest work here, but um, maybe there's a chance of this and that'll be convenient for this. And then you start to slip into this like complacency. Yeah. I'd say after three months. Really? Three months. Yeah. And you were there for over... Two years. For, wow. Yeah, I was there for two years. Three months in, I kind of knew and then I, I felt like I was really encouraged by my mom to stay there. Mm. That there was so much that I had an opportunity for and it was up to me to really take advantage of it. And so she encouraged me to stay. And so I said I was going to stay. And it was pretty brutal. Mm. Uh, I feel like... I ultimately wasn't respected in the workplace by my peers. Um, and was everyone? Because I know it was a, a medical. Like, was it was it a company based on a patent that they had on like a certain medical intervention? Yeah, I'd rather not share that though. Okay, I want to keep it pretty big. Yeah, but it wasn't like a general purposes. Like, it was like a med tech app or like something like that it was it was like a specific product sort of thing oh it was uh so there was an app mm-hmm. there was an app and there was a physical product okay so, so but it was a pretty specific thing and i guess were a lot of the people there like experts and domain expertise on the like medical aspect of things and maybe, no oh interesting really. there were like the product development team was but i wasn't in product development gotcha like i i hardly touched product development do you think that i was more on the operations Mm, okay. So, do you think any like of that animosity was sort of, uh, in, like seeded and then not really able to be eradicated from those first three months that you were there? Yeah. Or well, was I it had, just I like, had a lot of momentum and I had a lot of confidence going in mm-hmm. because I I had done a lot of cool things 
like and I knew my background was pretty I'm pretty proud of my background right like I've done mechanical engineering work electrical engineering work uh, software engineering um, let's see cultural exchange videos yeah and uh, I I built guitars you know I've (laughs) I've done a lot of different things that I'm really happy and brought me so much joy and uh, also with Glow, the right. leadership organization, I'd done a lot there. I'd planned a ton of events as well and some large, some really large events. So I was very fortunate to have experienced a lot of really cool things in a very short career. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was feeling really good. I walked in there knowing that how many teams I had led and what I had learned from all of them. And I was pretty confident that I was going to be able to do similar things here. The tricky thing was so I was young. Um, pretty much everyone there was older and it's, it, I didn't, what I didn't do well was that I was very used to working in teams where people respected me for one already, just for whatever reason, Hmm. or they were the same age. Mostly they were the same age or similar. Hmm. These people were not They're like 10 years older and they think, and they, and you know, I, I get it. You know, it's, it's tough to be told to do something in like a meeting by someone that you don't know that just walked in here and is 10 years younger than you. Yeah. Taking a face value, that's a bit of a a, a large pill to swallow. Yeah, it is. It's like, it's, it's, it's like a diss, you know? And so, um, I get it. So that didn't really work well. Mm -hmm. Didn't mesh, didn't navigate it well. And then Um, also like just on a pure basis of culture fit, the difference between what were you at the time? 24? Yeah. 24. 24 and 34. Like that's a really big cultural, like it doesn't seem it. Yeah. But as far as like, yeah, there's a lot that happens in 10 years that I had never been through that they have. Yeah. But in a different time as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, that would have been tough. I would, I guess so. Yeah, so it didn't, it didn't really work well. And then I just kind of, I just stayed there out of comfort and uh, fear. Mm. You know, fear that I, I, and I didn't trust myself. Because you've that. been like the video thing. Like, obviously, you did the vlogs in China, and then I know that you had a different sort of mission statement at the beginning of last summer that you've since changed a bit more. Yeah. And, but through that, I know you were recording a good bit around the time that the like Saturday creative collaboration was happening with Finn and everyone. Yeah. Um, the uploading wasn't, you hadn't been doing much uploading. We sort of both joked about like our backlogs. Like yeah. I have a 23 terabyte backlog and you have probably, I saw this, the Seagate over there, six terabytes and eight. Yeah. Eight. <laughs> and so we're both on our way in that regard. But yeah, with video, like, was it something that you, have you had equal pull to want to do that the entire time and just haven't, wasn't video able- is my, my escape. Mm. Yeah. I got to focus on something else other than my own life. Right. You know, I got to picture, I got to picture things. It was definitely a coping mechanism for me. Cause I was always surprised when you did like freelancing stuff, like when you wanted to get into it, I was always like really surprised because it seemed like, like I was surprised in a way that you didn't have other things that were like way more grandiose that you were as interested in. Yeah. And I just given your technical background and like all the stuff. And yeah, I was always so confused. Video is like the thing that you're like, cause I love video. Yeah. yeah. But I wish I had some of the technical competencies of you or will or, uh, like my other peers. Yeah. I, was, I don't know, man. Like staring at a screen coding all day really kind of sucks for me. I really don't like it. Fair enough. I, I like building something and having something 
that you know I've created on my phone. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. But I really struggle with spending so many hours a day coding. Yeah. I just can't. I can't do it. Well, I mean, I can, but I'm going to be miserable. Yeah. So. Fair enough. No, and I've I've heard a similar story from other people. Some, yeah. Some of which are in quite high places, and yeah. I just I just have a lot of respect for that. Okay, let me share real quick about um, recent challenges because I think this is probably going to be very relevant because I think there's a lot of I know a lot of my peers. My sister went through it. Are at a job where they they know they're not going to be there long term. And they're struggling to make the decision or pull the trigger to leave. Or else maybe I was struggling to know what was really right for me. What do I really want? That's a tough question to answer and ask. Mm. So this summer I was working and I was, you know, I was, I had always dreamt about leaving work, but I never pulled the trigger. My mom had a stroke all of a sudden and it was terrifying. It was the first time that I actually had to face the mortality of my parents. And she didn't die, thankfully. She was still alive. And she was she was in the hospital. My dad called me. And I left from New York, drove straight to Massachusetts, and went to the hospital. And I'll never forget the moment when I saw my mom in the hospital bed. I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. And I felt like I needed to be with my family. But I also felt so much pressure to be at work. Yeah, and for perspective, this is now one and a half ish years. Yeah, in? about about one and a half years. Maybe in. one and three quarters. A little more. Yeah, about one and three quarters. So you've been on this decline of like, yeah, I know I'm self worth. My self worth was drastically declining. You can't do the creative projects that you've been using as an escape because right, it was just it was over. Yeah, it was so overbearing. So now, but, major family crisis. They yeah. live how far away? Um, they're like four and a half hours away. Okay. So by driving. So drove out there, spent some days there, and uh, I felt this urgency that I needed to get back to the office. Otherwise, I was afraid I was going to lose everything I had. Mm-hmm. I had this fear that I'd, I'd be viewed down by my peers at work even more than I already was. And that fear drove me. So I left my family, went back to work, and I was kicking myself for it. I was like, I can't believe I'm leaving work. How long were you there to see them after it happened? Um, A couple of business days, I guess. Like, it happened on a Wednesday. Um, Did it happen on Wednesday? I'm trying to remember what day specifically it was. But I took a couple days off. It was only like two days, I believe. Um, So I didn't take much time off. But the entire time I felt such an urgency and it's, it's funny because it's not like anyone's there that's really telling me you need to get back. But the way it, the way the relationships developed in the office is that's what it felt like. It felt like you needed to be there. Otherwise, people were going to shit talk you. And I hated it when people were shit talking me. Yeah. And so like you're going to be in trouble or like something. It's like, oh, he gets to do this. Why can't I? Why can't I do that? Yeah. You know, oh, he gets to take time off to see his family. Like, you know, like say a bunch of things. I was going to say it was like his mom isn't even, you know, et cetera. But that's how, that's how it kind of was. That's the language I was in the office. And I felt compelled to go back despite my strong desire to be there with my family. And so I left and I hated myself for it. Then I wanted to take care of my mom and I couldn't, I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave unless I forwent my, uh, my paycheck. It's like I could leave, but then I, I guarantee I'm not going to get paid. 
So I was like, well, I need, I need the money because now I'm locked into all this like rent and all this payments and shit. So I, I stayed in New York instead of being with my, my family. And I, like I said, I regretted it. It built up over time. I had signed up for a marathon and the marathon, let me check. Well, also you were going every weekend for some amount of time. Yeah, I was. So for, what month was this in? April, May. This, this? No, this was was, June. Oh. June through July. So, and you went, because I I remember, because I was like, hey, how's it going? What's, you want to do something? It's like, oh, I'm driving. driving Yeah, I was every single weekend. Any chance that I could, I was in the Cape with my family. So every weekend I went. And that was for how many weeks, would you say? Uh, I don't know how many weeks. It was a lot. I put a ton of miles in my car. Maybe like six weeks in a row? Eight? I think it was more. I think it was more like eight. So eight weeks in a row. Yeah. Four and a half hour drive. So nine hour round trip. Yeah. Every weekend. Yeah. Eight weeks. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it was somewhere, but it was probably about eight weeks. I don't know. It's it's minor detail. Nonetheless, I did it. And then I got sick. I got sick. I had like massive diarrhea for mm. four and a half weeks. And um, makes sense. Cortisol. Yeah. Got me curious. Next next thing I knew, because <laughs> I had signed up for a marathon on my 26th birthday, I was like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do a marathon this year. So I signed up for a marathon. I'm pretty excited. I told like my boss, my coworkers, my boss told me it was, it was stupid. He's like, that's stupid. Like, why would you do that? He's like, you need, uh, you need to, you need to first run a 5K and then you run a 10K and then you run a half before you even think about running a full marathon. That's dumb. You're gonna hurt yourself. And I actually got really down on myself in that moment. I was like, wow, like, this is, this isn't what I want to hear. I want to be supported. I want to be encouraged and empowered to go out there and accomplish something that's pretty significant. I picked a marathon because running is the thing that I am absolutely the worst at. I am so bad at running. <laughs> Terrible. How, wait, so what's your height and weight just for? Uh, so I am like five eight, five nine, somewhere in between, and I weigh about one sixty five. And your four percent body fat? Last Something time like you that. checked, probably up a few size. You said creeping up to like six. Yeah, <laughs> but like that. so you're you're not exactly a runner's body. No, and yeah, my legs are a little too big for typical runners. And arms, chest, and yeah. every other muscle. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been told that my calves are too big for for to be a distance runner. Oh, just like genetically in general. Yeah, my calves are yeah, they're too big. And I'm way too top heavy. Hmm. Which is interesting. But anyways, nonetheless, I signed up to do it because I really wanted to do it. I felt like it was significant. And I thought it was gonna be a challenge, kinda similar to China. Mm-hmm. What's gonna make me really uncomfortable, what's gonna really push me. Plus I had read David Goggins his, uh. <laughs> his book Can't Hurt Me. Awesome book. Really, really inspiring. But don't break your feet. You had more left in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, then after I trained for like a week, I ran like four miles. And it was really bad. <laughs> then, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, sorry. not not good. So I trained for like a week, four miles, and my mom had the stroke, and then I started going back and forth. I stopped training oh. entirely. Yeah. So the reason why I stopped training was because of that. Gotcha. And then um, – then I got sick, so I didn't train. Then it was coming up to the to the marathon, and I was like, "Gosh, I don't think I'm, I don't know if I'm going to do it." And I was like, "If I don't do it, then 
the guy then but i mean boss was you right. didn't show up though like even to that's what it was debating so hard but i know i don't have it in me to not show up mm-hmm. like i have to show up i have to show up and i have to try i can't not try so i showed up and it was so weird showing up i was like i'm so not ready for this but i'm gonna make myself ready it was raining of course it was raining in the marathon super early in the morning and um i get out of the car out of the uber i took an uber because i wasn't sure that i'd be able to move my feet after to drive so i was like i I should probably be safe and take an uber so i took an uber and uh, i was like okay you know what I'm just going to give myself five hours. Whatever happens in five hours happens. Um, and obviously not anywhere near as extreme as what David Goggins did with his hundred miler. Apparently it was a relay race and he showed up and, and there was like teams. Like, and that was the format and everyone understood yeah, the ultra, this. Yeah. And he showed up and he didn't have a team. <laughs> yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah. But I just decided to, I just decided to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I just started running. I got out of the gate hot and I was like, all right, I'm probably going a little too fast. I should probably ease, ease up a little bit. And the last time I had gone running was early June. It was four miles. So it wasn't like I was in running condition. So I started running. Mile two, I started feeling a cramp in my left hamstring. I'm like, this is going to be a long day. I'm already cramping at mile two. I started focusing my energy towards my quads instead of my hamstrings. And I got all the way to uh, mile 13 before I started really experiencing pain. Uh, Mile 13... I was I was so determined to finish a half marathon before taking a break. I didn't take any breaks, and because I had never run a half marathon before, so I was like, I'm 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 gonna do it. Today's the day I'm gonna do it. And by the time I made it to thirteen point one, I was like dying. I I swear my eyes were closing, and I was super dizzy. I was super cramped up. I could hardly move my legs, but I was just like, gotta go, gotta keep going until I hit thirteen point one. I hit the thirteen point one mark, and there were laps. And the lady's like, congrats, you did a half marathon. I was like, holy fuck. Like, I, was, I was like, okay, I got to walk. Wait, so, so started, you did this on a track? like a- It wasn't a track. It was, it was just a huge loop around a lake. Oh, okay. And uh, it was like through lake and woods and field. How many laps was a half marathon? Um, so for that, each, each lap was about three miles. It was uh, like a little over three miles, I believe. So it was like four-ish. Four-ish. Yeah, 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 exactly. For a half? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, yeah, it was like four and a half or something like that. I forget. Anyways, so I'm running, and I get past this point, and uh, she's like, congrats. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to start walking. <laughs> I start walking. My eyes are closed, and I was, I was stumbling. I was really worried because uh, I couldn't see anything. Like when I opened my eyes, everything was blurry. I was super lightheaded. I was falling over. And I was like, if I don't get myself to the start line, I don't think I'm going to live. And I was like, I don't know what the, the heck line, is going like, on. Refreshments and, and things like that. What's that? Is the start line like water? That's and- from the medical tent was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So I had, I had another, I had another uh, mile and a half to go before I made it back there, and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. I was like, I don't know I'm gonna make. It. Then I ended up telling myself, it's like the only, my only hope of living is to start running again. Otherwise, I don't think I'm gonna make it in time before I die. And so I started running with my eyes closed again, and it wasn't like running like tr- normal running. I was like stumbling all yeah. over the place 
probably for like 15 minutes until like I was not moving fast. So I was like stumbling for like 15 minutes and all, and my eyes were closed most of it. I was like keeping one eye open as I'm going. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my mind comes back and my it's like I can see and the pain that was I was experiencing my body, I didn't feel it. I only acknowledged it. I like mm-hmm. I, I couldn't actually feel the hurt. You, just, you had enough awareness that you could be like, all right, if an injury injury happens, yeah. then I will be able to notice that and stop. But yeah, I like I noticed where the cramps were, but mm-hmm. the the pain from the cramps didn't affect me. And before that point, was the pain just like a feeling that you could not get enough air as much as you breathed, or like oh, the yeah, lactate that, burn was just like uh, well, I, I would say the lactate. Pain. Burn would have been nice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Would like, have been nice. With like f- f- friction burns on your feet, or wasn't so bad. It was just my my um, quads and hamstrings cramped so bad. It was like, mm. um, oh gosh, it just felt like a they huge fucking un- needle. Yeah. was just in my freaking leg, and uh, in both legs, and you just had to suck it up and keep running. So. Once I started going, I was like, oh, wow, it was amazing. I got fired up, man. I got so fired up. And then I kept going till like mile 18. Mile 18 was so painful that I started crying. <laughs> it was it was so painful, but it was emotionally painful instead of physically painful. Like all the cramps were getting worse, substantially worse. Um, but for whatever reason, I know like. Uh, I didn't I never understood what David Goggins meant in his book about like you go into like dark places until I experienced this then I really understood what it meant to go into dark places in your life and think about like my childhood trauma experiences that I would never change for my life because I've grown so much from them yeah but then all of a sudden this marathon became so much more than a marathon it became overcoming all of those things and conquering all the things that could have ever held me back and then I started thinking a lot about my parents and my mom and everything she's going through and started putting things in perspective about what this means to me overcoming a challenge where I feel like I don't have any energy left or I feel physically unable to complete a challenge and that it was it was so important for me to suck it up and mentally put myself through this pain in order to prove to myself that anything is possible Mm. and uh, so I was crying like Flora saw me at the turn and I was like I was in tears she was like oh I just saw some guy cross the finish line he was crying and I was like I'm crying right now like I'm not at the finish line (laughs) (laughs) and uh, it meant so much to me everything all of a sudden became so important and it was like I have no other option other than to finish and after that the sense of determination just fulfilled uh, my entire being and I just kept running I just kept running and then the last three quarters of a mile Flora called me and she was like, you have four minutes left before the five hour mark. And I didn't say anything. I just hung up the phone and I just started freaking sprinting. So you had a phone in your pocket? Yeah, like a, I was listening to music. Oh, so I got you. I was listening to music. She called me at four minutes left and I just started fucking running. So uh, I'm like sprinting. I was like, it's destiny. It's destiny. <laughs> it was like, and uh, then my calf cramps and my other, my, my right calf then cramps. Then my quads cramped, then my hamstring cramped, then my groin cramps, and they were cramping so bad, I was fighting the cramps. To, like, so, move your to legs move against my legs. the... Yeah, and so all of a sudden, I'm, like, you know, like running on, like, sticks, essentially, and <laughs> it, my legs were frozen, and I was struggling so hard, bro. Like I could see the finish line, and I was like, I'm going to 
freaking get there. And I knew if I stopped, I was going to fall and I wasn't going to get back up. The mm-hmm. cramps were so bad. I'm just running and I'm like in pain. Like my face is like in a permanent brown. But I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to make it. I've seen that face. And, yeah. <laughs> and then I, find, I make it across the finish line. I'm like, yes. I throw my headband. And I, I just like, I'm so proud of myself. And then all the cramps come in and fall straight <laughs> to the ground. And I'm in so much pain. And that pain was the best moment of my life. One of them. It's mm-hmm. not the best. But it was one of the best moments. I was like, I can't believe... I went through all of that and I made it to the finish line. I was like, the specific people told me that there was no way I could do it and I did it. And there's so many things in my life that built up to this and just that, that mentality of just going one step at a time. Just keep moving forward was so important. Like that's, as long as I was making progress, I was making progress. That's all I needed. I just needed to make progress just keep moving not stand still if i needed a break i was still moving don't do that yeah sorry as long as if i needed a break just to take an active break just keep moving that was the main and most important thing that i learned from that and now i use that with absolutely everything in my life just as long as if i need if i need rest that it's active rest it's actually productive rest Hmm. so for whether it's a workout i'll structure workouts so that you know there's something in there that's cardio based that that's my rest so then you use different movements same thing with entrepreneurship when you're doing something if you need a break from something do something else that's productive like uh now I have a very specific morning and night routine in, that is purposefully designed to help me be recovered and also mentally ready to tackle on whatever I need to during the day. And I have other things that if I if I find myself getting down on a project, I have a system now to get myself to go through to reinvigorate myself to get back into it. And so everything, it's not like taking an ice cream break, which I mean, I still I still have keto ice cream and I love it. But <laughs> it's, there's it's new ones that are pretty big. Awesome. <laughs> but I, it's not like it was like, oh, I'm stressed. I need to eat ice cream. And then I, and I veg is, out for yeah. like hours. It's, it's, it's yeah. like, I think I know what you mean. Because like there are a lot of breaks. And especially I started running into this when I did like keto and fasting and stuff. Yeah. The breaks sacrifice the progress and chew into it. And that is yeah. your definition of the break at that point. Right. Yeah. It's very like interesting when you can find ways to do a break is really just like a, a change of speed. And like, cause I think we get so granular with like the measurables and yeah. our perceptions of like what progress is, or even like completely contrived units of progress. And they're like, Oh, well, if we do this and we're going five steps back on that other thing. And, the, and it's, not true like if you do another project that's seemingly unrelated but you're Mm -hmm. building something you're getting context you'll bring it back and like you'll never know what you did if you never like gave your mind a break creatively from the other thing yeah and it's tough to get over that because it's so enticing to look at a clean system where like there's a zero-sum game yeah even though it's like not in anyone's best interest yeah so i'd say that's that's been the best most important thing in my life right now is just always every single day I think about just keep moving how if I feel like I'm stalling how do I continue to put my one foot in front of the other how do I continue to take that next step no matter how or whichever form it takes like how do I do that Hmm. and so I think that's where I've been growing so much over the past couple months since I left my job um, is because of that yeah no you've done you've done some stuff I've always respected you so immensely because the thing that you seem to be immune from almost maybe like you probably won't say 
that you're immune from it, but it's just like the scale that I and others experience it versus what I perceive you to experience it is like vastly different. Mm -hmm. And that's rationalizing. Um, So like to put me in a hypothetical where I was encountering the marathon situation and maybe it's just because I hate running and like regimented exercise in general. Like I did it with a bike thing, but that wasn't nearly the same as running in a marathon is something as difficult as that. Um, But like if I would have started training and had a plan and that plan got broken four days into it, I would have been like, well, it just wasn't meant to be. I guess I'll just cancel like in, you know, I just save myself the, and it's very different. I've always sort of perceived that. And it's not necessarily that it's a, like, I know you don't do it for the sake of doing it so that you could say that you can do it. Cause I always see the difference on the other side of you having gone through like these certain like inflection points or ridiculous things. And it's like, it's just very admirable because I don't, no, like you could tell me all the upside in the world about having done that experience and I don't think you could get me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I guess it's one of those things that you have to get yourself into. And, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it's amazing because like I just experienced, I'm a very good salesman sometimes with things that I believe in. Mm-hmm. The problem is that salesman talk works on myself. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I start to get up or down on an idea or like net optimistic or net pessimistic, mm-hmm. I'll just snowball myself in either direction and feel totally resolute and then just have like this lingering bugging about it all the time. And that's, I don't know. I just hopefully can move more your direction on that someday. But <laughs> well, considering how young you are, I mean, I'm not old. Don't get me wrong. But where you are now at your age, you are so far. Um, you're just much farther along than most people your age. Yeah. You're asking well, so many more questions. You're implementing so many positive changes in your life. Dude, it's it's so huge because it compounds. Yeah. It's been a shock. It's been a thing. And everyone takes their own path. But yeah. I guess a nice bookend for this would be a simple way to sort of sign our. You mentioned you had a morning and night routine, and mm-hmm. I didn't plan to ask about that, but it entices me because yeah, anything you do entices me. So yeah, let me get it out. So this is actually what I do. I I really enjoy this too. It's what's amazing about this morning and night routine is that it's it's not super regimented that I'm stuck to it for the rest of my life. What I'm doing is I'm sticking to and committing to something for one week at a time only. So, but last week I committed to waking up at 6.30 a.m. every day and I would brush my teeth, make coffee, sometimes reverse those, stretch slash do mobility, meditate for 30 minutes, uh, journal, then shower and get dressed. At night, I'd prep my clothes for the next day. That's workout clothes the rest of the day. Pack my bag and charge any devices. I'd journal um, and shower, brush teeth, skincare, and then go to bed. I've adapted that since so that in the morning, I wake up at 5.30 now every day. I call an accountability buddy. Essentially, what I do is I wake up, and the first thing I do is I tell someone three things that I am grateful for. So to start my day, I force myself to think about three things that that I'm grateful for. After that, I like rinse out my mouth to to help with morning breath. And also, um, it just kind of wakes me up. Which the gratitude thing, but because I'm a very cynical old man, very like unenchanted grew in the South. Yeah. Not 
particularly into woo-woo. Is that, is that a thing that some people might call it? Yeah. But I've done a guided meditation with like certain gratitude things. And I'd never actually, I think I was just too cynical like my entire life to ever actually like, think people like, be grateful about something or let's do a gratitude exercise. I'd never actually do it. Mm-hmm. I just be like, well, it's kind of nice. I'm not starving. It's kind of nice that I have like running water and eat and like yeah. this encounter that I had. But one day I did a, um, it was like Dan Harris's 10% Happier app. Oh, yeah. I yeah. did one meditation and I think I was just like really in the mood to like do whatever it was telling me that day. Yeah. And it involves a gratitude exercise and it was, it was a sleep meditation. Mm. And I actually went through it and I was like, oh, oh, I see. Oh. I see what this is now. <laughs> like yeah. I see the utility, but it's still very hard for me to get to that point where I'm not like, where I can take myself seriously enough to like do the exercise. But once I get over the threshold, it's insane. So yeah, I, I thought, I just thought it was worth saying because like, it's something that I've heard probably a thousand times, Yeah, but it just never, it is good to practice. And the more you do it, the more you start to get used to it. Yeah. And then it starts to become habit to start thinking about things that you're grateful for versus, you know, the traditional way of thought. And not doing it in a way that you're like just saying the words of the things that you intellectually know. Yeah. Here. Yeah. But instead you of you're like, with feeling. wow, that like conversation I had with that random person where they were like smiling really nice and I felt like we really, like they had a good moment of their day. I'm going to remember that for it's it's different than yeah. just saying I love that I have a shower you know <laughs> yeah yeah making things meaningful yeah so, sorry to interrupt but no that's okay yeah so I start off with the call then I rinse out my mouth I make coffee I journal I do a ramwad I meditate for 30 minutes then I get dressed and uh, I pack my bag with the devices and then I'll sometimes make breakfast, sometimes I'll skip it. And then lastly, I'll just do my posture exercise every day to help with uh, my back. And that posture exercise is a little ridiculous sometimes, but <laughs> hey, you know what? It's good. It's quick. And I like it. It's very lively. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, and yeah. oh, and you updated your night routine as well? I did. Yeah. So now I start the night routine around 9 p.m. where I try to, and I wear blue light blockers. I put those on first. And I journal, then I prep clothes the next day, the workout clothes, clothes the day. I put things away, uh, pack my bag as much as possible. I charge my devices and uh, then I just shower, brush my teeth, do my skincare, which is a recent thing for me, and then go to bed before 11. That's the goal, at least. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. it's funny because I see a lot of parallels when when I hit like my burnout point last fall, mm-hmm. the one thing that I didn't do is the gratitude exercise and the journaling. Mm. I tried doing a brain dump uh, every night before mm-hmm. bed, but I just like abandoned that after night two. Yeah. But the one routine that held up for about two or three months, which was like unheard of for me, yeah, was up at five, uh, with router off, phones in airplane mode. Mm. The last, the night before, I would have saved a Ramwad. Um, from the cloud and a 10% happier meditation. Yeah. I do the 10% happier meditation, do the Ramwad, um, calendar the day. So like timestamps, but that wasn't, mm. wasn't the healthiest way to schedule yeah. the day. Yeah. And then I turn on like the internet in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you journal just sort of like the final insight, um, what is that? Because I just, I hear people talk about journaling, but yeah. I never hear them say what it, like, what is I it? I actually follow a structure. It's the five minute journal. Hmm. Um, I don't spend five minutes on it. I usually spend more, but, but it's, the it's format short. That yeah, helps. it's the format. That's great. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Um, and it's, it's really about positivity. <laughs> so really focusing on being positive um, and 
appreciating things that happened throughout the day, not focusing on the negative. So it'll, it'll say things like write three things that were awesome today, you know, or something like that. Hmm. Three list, three thing, list, three amazing things that happened today. And then it's like, what would you, what could you, or what would you do? Or what could you have done to make it better? <clears throat> what could you have done to make it better? And you write as if you did do them. Gotcha. And that helps kind of keep me accountable for what I should do tomorrow. And you use the same one for morning and night? Uh, no. Oh. So that's just, that's, I just kind of um, gave the blanket over the entire thing. So you do some appreciation, start off with a little bit of appreciation, what you're grateful for. Then you go into um, uh, a statement, um, like or three things that would make today great if you do them. Mm-hmm. And then a, a daily affirmation statement that you write. Gotcha. Yeah. That's the morning. And then at night is the reflection. What three amazing, amazing things happened today? Um, and what would you, what could you have done to make it even better? So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's that. It's great. I think it's good. It's good exercise. It's pretty easy to implement. The reason why I think this has been so effective for me, and especially since I give myself dates to be accountable, uh, on the 21st, by the 21st, I have some notes as to what things I want to change so I can change and update my morning routine and night routine so I'm not stuck to it. Then um, when I wake up in the morning and I'm really freaking tired, uh, I just look at this and I just react. It's, I don't have to think about anything. I don't have to try to remember anything. I just look at this because it's all written down and I just react. I put it, I put my notebook, this list with my journal, with my to-do list, with my phone, all on a table outside of the bedroom. So when I get up, uh, I come over here and I just start doing stuff like yeah. just out of, out of habit and uh, just out of reflex. And I don't actually need to process and think. Yeah until I'm in the moment like sharing three things that I'm grateful for and then by then I'm, I'm awake and I'm ready to go gotcha that's yeah I find that really important is just lowering friction to do the things that exactly do. yeah but yeah. Um, I know I'm lazy <laughs> so I know I have a tendency to be lazy and I fight that every day well we all are but it manifests in different ways I don't think yes. I've ever seen you be lazy but, yeah. but I'll take your word for it I guess to make myself feel better um <laughs> Well, thank you, man. This has been an absolutely incredible conversation. I didn't really know what to expect going into it. As Mm -hmm. you could tell, like me talking before, I kind of had my apprehensions on like how I'd handle it, Mm -hmm. but you made it easy as a dream and told some amazing stories. Thanks, man. Glad. That was fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. And then uh, real quick, where can people find you, follow you? Um, So... I'm not very socially or social media present, I guess. I'm not very active on social media. However, you can you can definitely send me a message if you want to chat or meet up, grab some coffee, uh, shoot some videos. Yeah, you can message me through LinkedIn or um, probably Instagram. Yeah, if you can message me through Instagram, it's just my name, Sean Michael. I'll link in the show notes because it's got a very uh, artistic spelling. Yeah, it looks like Chan. <laughs> yeah, I love meeting new people and yeah. Anyone that's NYC local and then I believe you're still in an effort to become more bicoastal, so LA yes. as well. Just tell me wherever you are and if I'm going to be there, let's meet up. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thanks, man. And if you made it this far, thank you for listening. Uh, I can't think of a better way to start this off. Let's hug it out, dude. We let's, did it. Let's hug it out. Oh, yeah. Mushroom water almost completely consumed. Ah. And with that, we conclude part two of episode two 
of the Sprackle podcast. I know this is still very much in its infancy and hasn't really gotten started yet, but even still, the feedback I've gotten from the first two pieces I've put up has been very reassuring and incredibly encouraging, so I'm excited to see what this turns into in the future. Um, like I said in the beginning, I try to be as diligent as I can with links for every guest in the show notes, so if you want to hear more about them, it should be as easy as the tap of a hyperlink. Does anyone use the term hyperlink anymore? I don't know. Anyway, um, thank you for joining me. This is your host, Coy White, and have a good day. <laughs> yeah, my voices are just really not cooperating today. <laughs>